and good to see all the rest of you here as well today. I don't know, my left eye is not happy today. I don't know what's wrong with it, but uh, I, I feel better than I look anyway. So. <laughs> At any rate, let's take our Bibles and uh, get right to it. Let's go to the book of Acts once again, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, and we'll continue. Paul has been engaged in Ephesus, the longest place that he was at in any of his missionary journeys. He was there for about three years. Um, it's thought that the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 uh, were founded as well from the truth that he was speaking in Ephesus. And uh, we'll continue on today. There's a, a riot is going to take place. Um, it's historical. It's very direct. It's a narrative. And uh, let's just see how it unfolds. Acts chapter 19, we'll begin reading at verse 21. Acts 19, verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. In the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all of Asia, this Paul has, hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands." So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of, the, of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him, that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people." But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about a space of two hours, cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. When the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse." And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just bow for prayer before we begin. Father God, thank you again for a beautiful day. Thank you for those that have gathered around to hear and worship. Father, as we look to the word, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively teach us this day. May we be settled to receive truth. Father, you know the needs of these that are here as well. Father, you know them before they do. We'd ask that you'd put your arms of love and support and encouragement around them. Lift them up, and may they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you and you alone are God. We thank you for what you're going to do today. If there's anything said today, Father, that is, that is remiss or is untruth, that it would quickly evaporate from our minds. We're here to worship. We're here to lift Jesus up. May that happen. Because you're God, and he is the Savior. We'll ask us in his name, amen. 
Well, we continue on um, in our journey through Acts. We, as we've read from Acts chapter 19, I'll ask Laramie again, if you wouldn't mind it, please put the map up back on the wall. Um, it allows us to kind of see the journey that's been taking place. And Paul's been busy. He's on his third trip, <coughs> literally. And uh, he is stationed right now in Ephesus on the western part of Asia. And uh, as we talked about last week, he was there for a, a pretty good period of time, about three years ultimately. He wrote several letters from there. We'll find that he wrote uh, letters to, the, to Corinth, which he will be going Again, finishing up his journey, going back to Jerusalem, and then going all the way back to Rome. He's even mentioning that in the session that we have today, verses 21. Um, he's a traveler, honestly. He wants to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, there, it's very important that the passage we read today is understood that the reason for it to come into place literally is because of the things that happened last week in our study last week. It wasn't last week, but at any rate, um, Paul has come back to Ephesus on his third journey. He's been preaching and teaching in the synagogue. Uh, people are coming to Christ. And if you remember, there was the seven sons of Sceva. They were self-described exorcists. We took a great deal of last week talking about exorcism as a whole to, is a total joke. Because if you understand who's casting out demons, it's Satan's army that's casting out demons. And if you think about that for a moment, that's not right. It's a scam. It's a joke. It's somewhere for Satan to get the upper hand. Well, in this case, and by the way, uh, Satan leads by a couple, or dis, I'm sorry, Satan persecutes or is an enemy to the church on a couple different fronts. And he's not necessarily picky about which one. He usually tries to come with deception first. Satan loves deception. Um, there are those that are, there's cults today that are surrounding us in our world that literally have come because they've seen, quote, an angel of light. And that doesn't mean anything. Second Corinthians chapter 11, which was written from Ephesus, literally describes for us that that doesn't mean anything. Satan can appear as an angel of light. And he's trying to deceive the church from within. That these seven sons of Sceva, which uh, they we're going to cast out or exercise a demon. And the demon says to them, well, they said this, in the name of Paul, I'm sorry, the name of Christ, according to Paul, who Paul preaches. So they got the wording right, except they're not Christians either. And the demon says, we know Paul and we know Christ, but we don't know you. And proceeded to take at least two and maybe as many as all seven of those brothers and beat them up. And they literally raced out of there naked and completely bloodied. If they would have gotten away with that, if it would have looked like they would have exercised a demon, guess what would have happened? They would have been accepted by the church. God does not need liars to tell the truth. Let me say that again. God does not need Satan to tell the truth because he is a liar. That's what he is, John chapter 8. He's a murderer from the beginning. This really caused a great stir. We can, I mean, we were reviewing what we did last week. But it caused a great stir in the church because literally when Jesus Christ is the way, the only way. In fact, John, in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way. You saw that today, speaking of the way. That's what the Christians were known as, the way. W-A-Y. Jesus Christ is all of that, and it's by him and him alone that Satan is destroyed, that Satan is literally cast away. Uh, but Satan is not necessarily only fixed on deception. He loves that because that way he can slip into a church. He can slip in and sort of maneuver within truth and then begin to tell falsehoods. I was uh, studying, actually, a, a group um, just doing some research. And it was interesting that they are known as, one of the names is The Way. Except this group doesn't believe in the Trinity. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. A massive red flag should show up. Their salvation is by works. Massive red flag. 
do you see what I'm saying? All under the disguise of truth, it's been compromised, and now there's no discernment. That's all, all over our world today. If you want to try and the, try and the truth on something, just go to the internet. Everything that's on there is true, right? No. In fact, we're at an all-time record low of truth being disseminated across this world. And we have more access to communication devices. We have more access to knowledge, quote-unquote knowledge, than anywhere ever before. And we know less truth than we've ever known before. That's where we are today. This, this episode that we read today is really interesting because there's a setup to it. Uh, we read about the riot. Now, we don't have any riots, right? Peaceful oh, peaceful gatherings. This was another peaceful gathering. <laughs> That's what it was. Another name for a riot. Um, riots, and there's some things that we'll find, we'll find characteristics of today. We'll find the onset of it, what caused it. Um, I don't think there's any question about the fact that when God's word, in fact, the key verse to all of this chapter, literally we find in verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. That, that is absolutely exactly what will take place. If you want to take a country, a nation, a community, a state, a county by storm, the word of God is what has to happen. When you bathe a community with the word of God, it will prevail. And you will find Satan coming out of, the, out of the woodwork. He no longer will use deception if he can't get it. He tried it with these seven exorcists, but literally the deception was thwarted. God himself shut that down, showed it what it was. But he will come then with vicious destruction or persecution. That's what makes this whole thing work. That's who Satan is. He's a persecutor. He's a murderer. He's a liar. But what brought it on? That verse, in the sense of the word of God, went everywhere through Asia. In fact, it tells us uh, from the scripture last week that the entire, the entire province of Asia was blanketed with the word of God. I find that remarkable. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing. But at the same time, Satan is going to move from deception to downright destruction. He's going to raise up one man. Now, this is another thing. In our world today, it's amazing what one person can do, either for evil or for good. We have two literal personalities. Paul, who has made an impression, a, a massive impression on exposing and bringing truth to a very, shall we say, flagrant worldly society in Ephesus. Ephesus, the city itself, was about 300,000 people. 300,000 people. Their biggest thing that they were known for was the worship of Diana or Artemis, which was the Greek term. Diana would have been a Roman word. Um, and again, a mythology that came from uh, Diana or Artemis, either word can be utilized, was from a union of Zeus and Leto. And you, you notice in the latter part of this, what we read today, it was thought, and this is probably what happened, it was probably a meteorite, a small meteorite that actually landed on the earth, which then became a goddess by the name of Artemis. Hmm. There's two ways to make money if you're in the world. It's superstition and sin. Is it not true? Absolutely true. Here we have, now, if you want to get the world mad at you, you want to get the world to get really upset, is go ahead and hit them in the pocketbook. <laughs> That'll bring it out, won't it? Now, the interesting part of this, guess this riot was very intense. Um, it was in a theater, and I'm, I'm kind of, as you can tell, I'm kind of moving through, even through the verses, we'll come back and, and do a little bit more detail as we go, but they would have gathered one man, Demetrius, got this whole city stirred up. They ultimately grabbed two guys, two followers, if you will, of Paul, and they dragged them into the theater. The ruins are still there in that place. It would hold between 25 and 30,000 people easily. So now you have this stadium, if you will, or this theater filled with mad, angry, confused people. There are two things that you find in every riot, anger and confusion. In fact, I think it's almost Luke is using some sense of comedy or humor. He says in verse 32, he says that they cried one thing and another for the assembly was confused. And the more part, most of them knew not why they were there. <laughs> Isn't that true? They didn't even know why they're there. 
If you attend a riot, which I'm not in any way suggesting you do, because guess how much rioting the Christians had done? Did they carry their banners and their posters down with Artemis? No, they didn't do any of that. They didn't do any of that. This is, what's, this is remarkable for taking 20 verses in the scripture and literally the Christians had done something that had had the whole city of 300,000 people, 25 to 30,000 gathered in the theater, are mad and confused because Christianity had taken away their commerce in a false god. But they'd done it by only telling the truth. No picketing. No, no other riot. This is the other thing. Have you ever seen a riot of which you have two opposing sides meeting one another? How valuable is that? Not at all. Not at all. Nothing happens but more anger and more confusion. It's the bottom line of it. We've heard of the BLM riots. We've heard of all of this other stuff. Anytime you say BLM to me, that's the Bureau of Land Management. Okay? <laughs> BLM, I struggle with that whole concept. And by the way, you should as well. It's based on untruth. It's based literally on anger and confusion. That's the, that's the whole focus of any riot, literally. And now I would thinking, this riot, the only thing they could do is shout and scream. They didn't have matches. They didn't have pens. They couldn't even write on walls. They couldn't do any of the things that literally for our, our nation now or anywhere across the world, you can flip cars. They didn't have cars. Well, they do flip chariots over. I don't know, but they didn't burn anything. All they did was stood in the middle of this theater and yelled and screamed for over two hours Artemis, the, whatever, let's just, what did they say? Can you imagine for two hours? It says, where does it say that? Yeah, thir thir 34. Two hours cried, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, I don't know about you, but after about five minutes of that, that would be enough. For two hours, they literally were screaming, great is Diana of the Ephesians. How profitable is that? It's like any riot. It's not profitable at all. How did this happen, though? This is what's really, really interesting. To get to this point of where Paul has literally had an effect by teaching the truth, the whole city of Ephesus has been thrown into an uproar because the silversmith, Demetrius, who probably was the leader of a guild, G-U-I-L-D, a guild or a click, almost like a union, if you will, a union of silversmiths. And, and keep this in mind now. There would almost be a patriotic theme here. If you were going to study, and I can't tell you the other six wonders of the world, but in this time frame, there has been what was known as seven wonders of the world. The Temple of Diana was one of them. 420 feet long, 250 feet wide, 60 feet tall, and was surrounded with pillars that literally were donated by other princes and rulers around the world, about 120 of those. It was, it was fabulous. It was, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. This was a place to come. Um, now, in the Ruby Valley or in the Jefferson Valley or in this southwestern part of the, the nation, I'm going to say nation, we have more blue ribbon fishing streams than probably anywhere else in the world. And for the fish... They are safe with me at the end of a fishing hole. There is no worry whatsoever. I couldn't catch one if they tried to give it to me. I just can't. Not my gut. Not my, but I live in the... When people from all across the, the nation find out where I live and they're fly fishermen by... That's what they really do. Well, you must fish all the time. I said, I don't fish at all. And they just are aghast. What's wrong with you? I don't know how to fish. I don't know, but it doesn't drive me, right? It would be the same in the world that day. If you went to Ephesus, you went there probably as a tourist or as a pilgrimage journey. You would have been someone that would come and see where literally the focal point of the worship of Diana happened, or Artemis was the Greek word. They're the same, same thing. One's a Greek term, one's a Roman word. You could find uh, worship of of Diana in Rome, but this was the mother load. This was the place it happened. And I have to say, if you want to fish, if you want to fly fish, this is the capital. Now, the other thing I'll say briefly, Diana or Artemis would have been the goddess of Ephesus. I wonder. 
Is there times in our valley that the fish are the God of our valley? I'll let you answer the question. It's amazing how different things and idols can rise up. Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. In fact, 1 John, it says, abstain from, from idols, little children. That's his last verse. And an idol is not anything necessarily against Jesus Christ or against God. It's anything other than God. Again, a personal quest to each one of us. Where do we spend our time? What encapsulates? What is our passion? Those are, those are probing questions, aren't they? But they're real. But if you wanted to see the worship of Diana, I'm telling you, Ephesus was the place to come. There was pride surrounding that. And now, literally, Christianity at the hands of one man's preaching the gospel, not, not, not going around with pickets, not gathering up a church and, and trying to get into the business. No, 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 stop. It's the same for us today. How do you handle it? You preach the truth. You let the word of God. I want, if somebody's going to be mad at me, I don't want them to be mad at me, but at Jesus. The truth, the word of God. The more the Bible is promoted, the more truth is given. What do we need today in America? We need more truth. We need more truth. See, I'm afraid our churches have become, back in the late 80s, um, I had to actually Google it this morning. I couldn't remember where it came from, but there was a beer commercial that came up, and it was taste great, less filling. See, you guys went right there. You could just fill it in. They did a masterful job of selling that, didn't they? Uh, that was Miller Lite, 1987. Now, unfortunately, today, society is demanding a church that is Christianity light, L-I-T-E. Not L-I-G-H-T, like we should be. It's L-I-T-E. In other words, sounds great, less truth. Isn't that true? Absolutely true. Less truth, more confusion. You can mark that down. I'm going to write it on the board. In fact, less truth, more confusion. That's what our world wants today. Less truth. In fact, in this room... That society would want you to believe that every one of you can have your own personal truth. That, my friends, is a French word called baloney. <laughs> More confusion. The other thing that we seem to be at an all-time low right now is discernment. Isn't it true? To be able to analyze a situation and to come to the proper analysis of that and placing it according to where truth really lies. Less truth, less discernment. Now, here's the thing that had happened, though. You're still saying, well, you're not, back us up. How did this all take place? What was it that brought this to the forefront where literally Paul was accused of destroying the commerce of the silversmiths? Now, again, don't miss this. It would be just like fishing to the Ruby Valley. In the summertime, it's a huge economic impact, huge. So I want you to think along that line that literally Paul's message, the truth, now it has nothing to do with fishing, but the point is if you were making shrines, figurines of fish that you were selling so they could put it on the dash of their car, Wait, I did see one of those statues. You see them all the time, don't you? Those big dogs, those big fish. See, now you're laughing, right? What's the difference? Let's keep going. I'm meddling now. I'm meddling. At the same time, Paul's gospel, his truth, would have literally decimated the commerce of selling that. Can you see the uprising coming? Woo! Buddy, it was on him. But there's something that's at the root of this yet. Remember those seven guys that were going to cast out demons? When that didn't work and Satan's whole ploy was, was, was exposed, literally it says fear. Let's go back to that verse. Let's go back to that verse. It was known. Let's go back to Acts chapter 19. And we'll start in verse 15, because this is where it sets up. 
They're going to cast this evil spirit out. Verse 15, chapter 19 of Acts says, The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overcame them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came. Now, this isn't new believers. This is probably those that had trusted Christ. Here's a big part of us today. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, literally that instant, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's no question about that. It's not a second anointing. or a, No, no, immediately that person is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Here's the part that we struggle with in the sense of sanctification is the fact that we don't give the Holy Spirit all of us. He, we have all of him. We don't give him all of us. This is a classic example right now. They watched what happened in that Jesus Christ and the strength in him, the demons said we know him. Now, these would have been the same ones that probably went back to Job chapter 38 last week. Those same, quote, angels before now become demons because a third of the, all of the angels follow Satan. They would have been at the beginning of the creation of the world, praising God. There is not one demon that does not know the power of God. They also know their end is coming because of what they did. Now, if, I don't know if you've thanked God recently for the chance to have more than one chance. The angels got one go. One go. They chose Satan. Satan said, I'm it. I can be just like God. Are you going to follow? Look at me. I'm, I'm like fantastic. And they chose to follow him. It was over. It was done. Their, their, their eternity was fixed at that moment. Now, maybe you've heard the gospel more than once. Maybe you've heard it four times, five times, eight times, a dozen times. If there's still life and breath in you to the very end of this life and you receive Christ, it's just as good. I don't know if you've thanked him for that, but us that have accepted Christ, that is mercy and grace on steroids. And Jesus Christ made it all happen. This is the one that's magnified now. Jesus is magnified. Guess what happens? Let's keep reading. I know we're reviewing, but it sets it up. So in chapter 19, it continues to say, Many of them also, which use curious arts, magic, brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God. You know how you want to get the word of God to prevail in, in Madison County or the state of Montana? You get pure lives in a pure church. And the world can't stand that because when we have more truth, we have less confusion. When we have more truth, we have more discernment. And you know how you get more truth? By being pure. This literally was had people that were believing in Christ, sort of like easy believism. It would be like Christianity light, right? But when they saw the power of Jesus Christ, when someone else tried to exercise demons, they said, and they took the hidden compartments. Now, everybody's got a room or two in your heart. And you think, now, this is work for you this afternoon, baby. In the innermost depth of your being, your throne room, if you will, there's usually a room that only you have the key to. You don't give it to the Holy Spirit. That's my room. No one goes in there except for me. Those are the rooms that those people, after seeing the Jesus Christ to be exalted, they said, we're going to open that room. We're going to bring all of that stuff that hinders us from being everything that God wants us to be. It's called baggage. And you know what? I've got baggage. It's amazing how when we really do business with God, there's a room or two or three or four. Not just being dusted. I need the vacuum cleaner of the Holy Spirit to get that stuff out of there. Because you know what he fills it with? More truth. More truth, more discernment. More peace comes from discernment. More peace comes from more truth. Do you see why we're such a mess today in this nation, in this world? Satan doesn't really care what lie you believe. Just any lie. Any lie will do. 
<laughs> you can believe that the Grinch is the Savior. I don't know where that came from, but, <laughs> but the point of the matter is, is it doesn't matter. As long as you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world that came to save men from their sin. As long as you don't believe that, <laughs> anything else will do. That's what set this whole thing up. The purity of that church, truth couldn't be resisted. People were getting saved. The truth was literally canvassing the area. And that'll bring persecution. That'll bring destruction. Satan will be on his high horse and bring everything he's got. He has to. Because he's in his neck of the woods. When deception doesn't work, he comes with destruction. Now, I don't know who Demetrius is. It was a common name, actually. There's several within the scriptures. But Demetrius would have been one that was probably very wealthy, understood the commerce, understood. He might have even been the leader of this, the silversmiths that were making these figurines and these household gods. No, it's amazing. It's amazing how idols are so canvassing the entire Bible. If you go to, I'm going to, you can just write this down, but Genesis chapter 31, verse 19. Remember when Jacob went to see his uncle Laban? And he came home with two wives. Leah. It was a trick. Did you see the tricks that Laban played? Oh, my goodness, right? Talk about truth being absent. Oh, 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 Jacob. You know how it works here. The oldest daughter has to be married first. But you work another seven years for me, you can have Rachel as well. Now that, my friends, is lack of truth. But Jacob, he loved Rachel. There was a time, though, when they left. He took his family, and he could see it wasn't going to go well for him in the family. And Rachel took her father's household idols. Huh. <laughs> huh. It's amazing how we have all this baggage we just track with us. And she was deceptive in even telling it. She didn't take them to her father. <laughs> oh, right? Who's winning? Truth isn't. Discernment isn't. You know how much good those did her? Zero. I think this is, this, this to me is, I read this, I underline my Bible, because I, I mean, think of this. this. This is the accusations now that Demetrius is making against Paul. You ready? Here they go. Number one, sirs, this is verse 25. Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. In other words, we're getting rich from this occupation of building silver shrines of Prince of, of goddess Diana. So in a, what is it? He hit us in our pocketbook. He hit us right there. How did he do it? This is really cool. God did that. Paul didn't do that. It would be like all of sin and all of superstition took a hit because they followed Jesus Christ. That's it. You just followed the truth. It's just like in the bank, Paul, when you were there years, some years back. You never took the tellers and showed them counterfeit money. You got to watch out for this and this and this and this. No, 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 no. Stop. You're not worried about a counterfeit. You're talking about counterfeit, period. How do you do that? You study the real stuff. You handle the real stuff, guess what? The counterfeit sticks out. Isn't it true? It's absolutely true. That's what Paul is doing. He's just preaching the truth. You have more truth. See, I've got, a, I've got the negative there. Less truth equals more confusion. But the more truth is less confusion. That's what was happening. People were getting it. There were people that were progressing in the sense of finding Jesus Christ. Hit their pocketbooks. Now watch this one here. Uh, moreover, he's got another reason. They've heard us in a pocketbook, but uh, there's something else I want you to hear. Verse 26. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all of Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which be made with hands. That just makes me laugh. In other words, if I'm going to take this, there's wax, I think it is, and I just heat it up, and then I make something else out of it that looks like, and I say, that's a god. And Paul, they said, this is what Paul's doing. This is, this is so treacherous. He's saying anything we make with our hands is not God. Duh. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. If Paul was in there, you know how long Paul would have lasted in this 25 or 30,000? Man, he was not scared of anybody or anything. Did you see it? He wanted to go in. 
And you know why he wanted to go in? Because there's 30,000 people that needed Jesus. <laughs> That's how Paul, Paul saw any gallery as an opportunity to preach Jesus. Uh, the disciples thought it better not to go in there because it was a mob. It was going in. What is a riot? This is, it, it's, it works in America. It works in Russia. It works in Israel. It works at Hamas. Every single place there's a riot, there are two things that stick out. It is anger and confusion. Now, I don't know about you, not much good comes from anger and confusion. And that's how it's depicted right here. <laughs> Oh, and there's one more thing. So we have hit us in our pocketbooks, and he tried to tell us that if we make something, it's not God. <laughs> Bingo, buddy. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Let's keep going. Verse 27. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at not. In other words, we're going to lose our business, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. In other words, there's, there's a patriotic theme there. There's a sense of our reputation. They've hit us in our pocketbook. They basically, I mean, you know, we, we, we believe in Diana, so that's where our pious attitude has been destroyed, plus our reputation. I mean, we're the place. Just think what would happen, fellow Ephesians. There's 300,000 of us. And Paul is going to destroy the temple by its non-use, but it's not needed, that she is not the goddess. The whole thing's going to fall apart. Boy, that's a strong case, isn't it? Huh. That's the whole case. And he has the entire city in an uproar. He's done his math. Now, he did this without cell phones. He did it without television. He did it without radio. He did it without with any internet. He did it without just his own voice, one guy. And you don't think we, as one person in Jesus Christ, can have an impact today? You, my friends, are delusional. There's an example right there. I'm not sure those 20 verses aren't there to just see what the power of one voice can do, either negative or positive. Paul wasn't even... I still... I wanted to see Paul go in there, right? Go get them, buddy. Go get them. But there were two, his disciples, those that were followers of his. Let's keep going. Verse 28, when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana on the Ephesians. It's almost like, do you remember when uh, Elijah uh, came in, in, the, in the nation of Israel and they were following after Baal, right, and Ashtaroth, and he said, well, let's have a duel. Now, what set this up, as I still, this is like America today. I just see it as America the same way. I mean, we're not the Jews. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying this. He says, who is your God? And the Israelites just sat there with their arms crossed. Now, it doesn't say that, but they answered nothing. These are the people of God. They didn't know. <laughs> Unbelievable. There's people that are struggling with who's the God of America. We should be confused. Who are we following today? I would have to say, shrug your shoulders, right? Isn't that what America's become? Less truth, more confusion. This is almost too close to home now, isn't it? Wow. And you know that Elijah said, let's have a duel. Let's see who really is God. And God had set him up for this. It wasn't one of his ideas. See, you don't need to tempt God. Did you notice sometimes Paul was advised not to go into the theater? I'm, I'm going to come back to this real quickly. But his disciples and the, they were called Asiarchs, they would have been political figures that would have been responsible for the province or the city in which they were connected to Rome. And their job really was to keep the peace. They were PR people. Okay? And they were actually friends of Paul. That's the words Jews. They were friends. I'm not saying close friends, but friends enough to where they cared about him and probably their own good. Because if you know what they would have happened if Paul would have went into the theater? If you thought they had a riot before, let Paul at them, right? And they both said, you shouldn't go in there. And I have to believe that God was behind that. See, sometimes if you're in danger, you can trust God to get you out. But you remember when Satan came to Jesus Christ, he gave him three temptations. 
The first one is the one I would have used too. If you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, I'm going to go with the hunger thing. I'm going to go with the meal thing. I'm going to go with, you could have a TV dinner. And to someone that's fasted for 40 days, I'm on it. But that failed because Jesus Christ said, no, 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 no. The real manna, the real is the word of God, right? And it's made, here's the other part of it, people. Listen carefully. Do you know that he tempted Jesus, Satan, he tempted Jesus by using the scripture. Just because somebody whips your Bible out and starts coming with verses doesn't mean anything. Satan's good at it. He knows it better than you do, but he's so good at pulling it out of context. But then he told Jesus in one of those temptations, which is exactly the same, because Paul was not in danger, but he would have thrown himself into danger. And there were friends from both his own disciples and those that would have been political figures that said, Paul, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. Remember what Satan tempted Jesus? He said, you're the, if you're the son of God, just throw yourself off the, off the, uh, the temple. Just, just dive off. You want to be a hero? All of these thousands of angels come and just swoop you up so that you look like a hero. And what did Jesus say? That's tempting the Lord God. That's tempting, Lord God. We don't need to throw ourselves in the, in the, in the middle of a freeway. What's the one down? I, that, that, that's been 30 years ago, and it was super busy, um, in Los Angeles. What is that freeway that runs north-south? I-5. I okay? You know, I don't know how many lanes there was then, but it was a lot. And I, it would be like, hey, God's going to protect me. You just walk out and you just drop yourself on the deck, and you say, God's, that's stupidity. Now, if you end up there with a flat tire in the middle, you can pray, God, help me, right? But you didn't do it on purpose. That was just like Jesus jumping off the temple purposefully just to make a show or to literally, you see what I'm saying, and exploit an opportunity. That's not of God. The best place for Paul was not in that place that day. He had done his work to make it happen. The last thing really that needed to happen was for Paul to be there in a vocal part to expose what had already taken place. See, a riot's a bad place to gain any sense of truth to be exposed. Because what do we have? A riot is a place of anger and confusion. Paul had truth and confidence, discernment. The whole city was filled with confusion, verse 29. That's how we say it's full of wrath and it's full of confusion. Having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in trouble, they rushed with one accord into the theater. Now they've taken these two men and they've ran into this theater, which holds 25 to 30,000. When Paul would have entered, again, uh, 25 or 30,000, have you been in a stadium that held that, that amount of people? It's a bunch, isn't it? There's something about that. Uh, some of these larger football stadiums, what do they hold? I don't even, I'm not... 800,000. Okay, so think of that for a moment. About a third of probably one of the larger stadiums is filled with people that hate you. <laughs> and they're yelling the same thing. And as it turns out, for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. I, I'm going to tell you, 15 seconds of that would have got me through it. I'd be looking for the exit. And if you're a rioter, I, why do you stick around? Because you're angry and you're confused. Right? When Paul would have entered in under the people, the disciples suffered it. Don't, 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 don't do that, Paul. Don't do that. Certain of the chief of Asia, these Asiarchs, which were his friends, sent out desiring that he would not adventure, not go into the theater. Some cried one thing, some another, for the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not why they were there. In other words, if you, now this is, this is the term sheeple. Have you ever heard that word? Just fall like sheep? Okay. There was, how many of those 30,000 in there were like sheep? Hey, where are you going? We're going to go to the theater. I mean, it's, there's a crazy, I mean, it's crazy what's happened here. Dun, 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 dun. And they jog into the little theater, and pretty soon they're saying this, and they're wondering, why are we here? Why are we here? In fact, that's something, remember those three questions? If you, if you have someone that needs to know Jesus Christ, there's three questions I would pose that they would ask. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? If they will take those three questions and handle them, I mean with seriousness, their lives will be changed. How many people don't even think about those three questions? I'm going to say those people in that room that day, <laughs> I 
Not a clue. Not a clue. Well, then they try to get Mr. Alexander, who was a Jew. Now, here's, here's the thing. You're saying, well, why, would, why would the Jews push Alexander forward? We've talked about the close similarities between Christianity and Judaism, right? And from a distance, the Romans would have felt, they would have known, oh, this Jesus Christ, I don't know much about him, but he was a Jew. So therefore, you know, the Jews have a little trouble with who he is, but he's a Jew. So Judaism and Christianity, pff, all one and the same. But what difference does it make? Now, the Jews are seeing this as a potential problem. First of all, they hate Paul as well. This is a chance for them now to take their guy, Alexander, who is a Jew. Now, we don't know if he's saved or not, so it doesn't matter. What they're trying to do is save face. They're trying to literally get this guy. Hey, Alexander, let's tell you, buddy, you're, you're a speaker. You're an orator. Get up there and tell them it's not us. We're not the problem. It's not about us. It's about that dirty, filthy, rotten Paul. And he gets up, and immediately they know he's a Jew. See, anti-Semitism is, you think it's bad today. It's been bad forever, right? I was studying, you mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany. It's amazing how the church fell in. See, this, I'm going to tell you this again. The less pronounced that the German church was, in other words, you turn your head away from truth. You just let, it can't get that bad. I have heard that statement even out of my own mouth. Can it get any worse? In other words, we're thinking that it can't really, yes, it can, and it did. The nation of America today, folks, can it get worse? It will. It will and can. How important is this for us to stand on truth? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was ready to take truth, whatever the consequence, and he paid it. He was hung in 1945, just before the end of the war. Hitler hated him so badly because why? He had truth. And do you know what, was, do you know what Adolf Hitler's greatest enemy was? Truth. You just mix enough truth so that you're accepted. See. Hitler was one of the greatest deceptive artists in the church of Germany. He was amazing. They just bought into it. He used the right terminology. I see some of the same things happening in America today. Don't leave truth behind. Without truth, you have no discernment. Now, do you know what happened? We're going to come back to this. I keep bringing this back around. You know what happened to those people? We talked about purity. You know the quickest way to losing truth and having more confusion is compromise. Compromise. A compromising church is one that has less truth. It's Christianity light, L-I-T-E. It no longer is the light, L-I-G-H-T. I'm going to show you a church now that is actually described for us in Scripture. It was probably founded during the time that Paul would have been in Ephesus. And yet, can you imagine a church of which there's the Savior, Jesus Christ, is on the outside knocking on the door to get in? It's not a salvation message. It's literally a picture of Jesus talking about the church that he's not even inside of it. What kind of church is that? It's the church at Laodicea. They were so lukewarm, they were so light, L-I-T-E, that you didn't know what they stood for. Isn't that what the society wants from church today? Just make it sound great, but no truth. That's ultimately what they want is no truth. How can you be convicted for no truth? God will convict you for no truth. The America wokeness and this world wide acceptance of everything but Jesus is where the world wants us to be. That's Satan behind that 100% of the time. Let me read Laodicea for you. Let's go back. Oh, I also, you know what? This church at Ephesus would have enjoyed the company of Paul for three years. He would have wrote numbers of epistles from there. He wrote to the Corinthians. In fact, let's take a look quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's go there for a moment. He is talking about, remember he said he was going to go, he had to go to Macedonia. He was going to actually go to Corinth. He made a circle. And then he said, I got to go back to Jerusalem. Do you know why he went back to Jerusalem? Now think of this. This isn't us getting in a car and driving nine hours or getting on a ship and spending a week. No, 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 no. This guy would have spent months. Why did he go to Jerusalem? Because he wanted to go, first of all, to Macedonia to get an offering for the church at Jerusalem because it was very poor to share in what the troubles were. I'll tell you what, I'm, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to watch a community such as ours reach out to those in the last number of weeks that have been hit hard. See, it should be the same in the church, from one church to another. We all trust Jesus Christ as Savior. When there's a church hurting, 
the church in South America, in Colombia, right? We're reaching out. Our gifts that you're giving here literally end up in a church in South America, in Colombia, to help friends there. Paul the Apostle went to Macedonia and Achaia, not to see them so much as it was to gather a gift that they had promised, to go back to Jerusalem. Guess what that does? Oh, you see the love of Christ just rising. How will they know you were disciples? How you love one another. That was Jesus' words back in John chapter 13, verse 34. Isn't that true? And then he gets and he takes off from Jerusalem and he heads back again. This time he goes to Rome ultimately. But you know where he was going? He was actually going to Spain. Why Spain? Because it's there. <laughs> if you're a mountain climber, why do you climb Mount Baldy? Because it's there, right? That was Paul in, 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 in literally evangelizing the world. You go there because it's there. It needs you. It needs the gospel. But let's take a look now. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 8. He's talking about, to the Corinthians, he writes this letter. He says in verse 8, 16, 8, 1 Corinthians, I will tarry or stay at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Friends and neighbors, how many times have you, oh, I can't go right now because I've got a lot of enemies. That's weird, isn't it? Not if you're Paul. Because it's an opportunity to share the gospel. And you know what? Where there's conflict, where there's persecution, that's where the church will magnify itself greater than you can imagine. And Paul saw adversaries as a way to explode the growth. That's what he said to the Corinthians. Isn't this guy something? He's amazing. He's amazing. Now, I'll give you an idea of the amount of coming back to the compromise that had taken place in these believers' lives. They came, Paul had his message in Ephesus. He'd, he'd preached for three months, and the Jews disbelieved, and they got a hardened heart, right? Hardened heart. So he went to teach in another school. And there were those that believed. But when they saw the power of Jesus Christ in those, that exorcism, shall we say, all of a sudden they began, you know what, there's compromise in our lives. Every one of us in this room, everyone that hears my voice, myself included, I'm not incriminate anyone else there is compromise in our lives and the best thing we can do is to purify and when those men and women purified their lives is when God really expanded his word and it prevailed and that's what brought Demetrius and his whole group saying we can't have any more of this you know what God's work expanded and multiplied message to us more truth more discernment, no compromise. <laughs> That's a goal, isn't it? No compromise. Now, compromise for you may not be compromise for me, but what's really important is what the Holy Spirit says is compromise for me. That's what I got to deal with. It may not be the same for you, but when I know I'm not putting God first, that's compromise. That's what we need to deal with. You want the church to have more truth today? I'll tell you, this is one that doesn't. Let's go to Revelation now, chapter 2. Now, the other thing I'm going to do first, though, is I want to show you something. The church at Ephesus, with three years of Paul preaching, should have been like on fire, right? I mean, they would have seen him at his fullest. They watched his whole event, and literally there was a town clerk. I don't know if we'll get back to it or not, because we're going to keep moving. There was a CEO of the town. He would have been like the mayor, if you will. And after two hours of listening to this, and they, you think that he's a hero, that he stepped... No, no, I'm going to tell you what. If you were in 25 or 30,000 people for two hours listening to the same chant, you'd be ready to stop too. <laughs> and I think for him, they recognize him as he would have gotten on stage, whatever that platform was, and he would have motioned, they would have said, let's see what he has to say. And he builds a case. We're going to come back to it in a moment. But let's go to Ephesians. Or, I'm sorry, to Revelation. And let's take a look. At the first church is mentioned of the seven. This is actually the church to Ephesus. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 1 of Revelation, right? These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. This is Jesus himself saying this, Jesus Christ, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars, and they, they know the truth, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake hath labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, 
and repent and do the first works. For else it will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of thy place, except thou repent. They left Jesus Christ. The most important reason. How many churches today have left Jesus Christ outside the door? I don't know. But what talk about dangerous. Now, here's the, here's the deal. I don't know who has been to Ephesus. You know what you're not going to find in Ephesus? Is the church of Ephesus. It's gone. It's gone. How did it get gone? We know, working backward, they did not repent. They did not return to Jesus Christ. Each and every generation is responsible for holding firm the anchor of the truth of Scripture. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. And apparently the next generation didn't feel as important. Where are we at today in America? One generation at a time. Is truth important to you? But as you page through the next five churches, the one it ends up with, which is probably, to me, the most like the church in America today. See if you agree. Verse 14, chapter 2, chapter 3. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is Jesus Christ, again speaking. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing, knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, in the German church of which uh, um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would have been part of that community, you see, it was more important for them to remain, quote, rich, free, and in ourselves than to take a stand against untruth. That is America, people, right now. Don't miss that. That's where we're at today. Take a stand for truth. Because you know what happens? Let me tell you. Keeps going. I counsel thee to... Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. There's so much I could tell, but I want to keep moving. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He's loving them by rebuking and chastening. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now watch, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door. The door of what? The door of the church. And knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I mean, if you think about it, on the outside of this church door on a given Sunday, Jesus wasn't even inside the church because they stood for nothing. There was no truth. There was confusion. Is that not where we're at? We have a lot to learn from this little session, 20 verses. In the background, when you put it contextually together, men and women, we've got to take a stand. For who? For you? For me? Wave a flag? For Jesus Christ. When you share the gospel that Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was the son of God, he was all man, he was all God. Not any, that's, that's the deal. He's all God, he's all man. Does it make sense? It's the incarnation of God in a man. Born of a virgin. We're celebrating that in the next week. There's no mishy mouth going around and making that silent. It's not church light. It becomes light because he came into a dark world. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All God, all man. He came to save me from my sins. He hung on a cross to bear my sins. To think of that for three hours, from noon it was dark to three o'clock in the afternoon on the day that he was crucified, and he was bearing my sins. He was bearing your sins. And the Father turned from him. I don't know what that was like. I couldn't possibly imagine. It's the darkest moments in this universe's history to know that God the Son and God the Father were separated for those, that time period because he was wearing what couldn't be paid by those that owed it. That was me. This is the time when he came to earth. Is it the time? It's not important. He came because God said he would come. He is my savior because of what he did. That truth needs to be spread across the world. That is truth. 
Christ came, he died, he was buried, he was crucified, and he rose again. If he didn't rise again, I'd, I'd be the first to leave. I'd be the first, and you should leave with me. There's no reason to be here. That's why anyone that is a secular humanist, anyone that says they're an atheist, you've got a big fat problem. Who is your God? If it's you, you're not big enough. You're going to die without a savior. Can you whip death? No, no one can. Jesus did. That's why I'm here. I can preach that message. There's hope within me because of what Jesus accomplished. Yes, he died on a cross. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he, yes, he was buried. For three days, parts of three days, he laid in that tomb to prove that he was dead. And then God raised him because he was a sacrifice fit. Friends, I, I don't know what could be better. And he's there for you. With open arms, he's receiving you today. In the quietness of your heart, open your life to him today if you haven't. And if you have, let's get serious. Let's get serious. We're not playing church here, people. We're spreading the gospel. Don't go with Christian light. Sounds great. No truth. Or less truth. Less. You can have less truth, right? That's what Satan wants. He wants less truth. And then what do you have? More confusion. Our world is as confused as any of us have seen. I'm watching the generate. What's the, what is it? The X generation? What's the one where? Z. What is it? I think Z. Z? Okay. The Z generation. Yeah, it is. It's Z gen. Being canvassed in the sense of a survey across the entire world. These are Germans, these are Swiss, Swiss kids, these are the Z generation all across the world. The number one problem that has been, you talk about propaganda working, the number one problem that they feel is facing in the future is climate change. No. The number one problem for any generation ever since Adam and Eve were in the garden is a three-letter word, and it's called sin. It's called sin. And there's only one way to escape it, there's only one way to pay for it, and that was Jesus Christ. We have the message. Speak the truth. Share it. Live it. Have I been overbearing? I hope you didn't see me today. But you know what? Ephesians. This, this is a, let's end with this verse because this is the deal. It's not getting in people's faces. The gospel's job is to do that, is to get in the heart. But here's, here's a verse that, that I really literally want to live by, and that is Ephesians. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Imagine that. He writes to the church that he spent three years with. In chapter 4 and verse 15. Now he's talking about spiritual gifts. And look at verse 14. We'll start there. He says in verse 14 of chapter 4, this is it. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Isn't, isn't, isn't that what's going on? By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, to deceive. Which, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ. That should be your goal, is speaking the truth in love. That should be our goal in sharing the gospel in love. Let's pray. Father God, what an awesome, sovereign, powerful God you are. The love that you showed was the giving of your son, Jesus Christ. Born of a woman, born of a woman, but all God. He walked this earth for 33 years. He saw the good. He saw the bad. And he hung on a cross at the hands of the men that he made, that were made in the likeness of God. They chose to, to crucify him. Just as that riot that day in Ephesus was screaming at the top of their lungs, great as Diana, there was another riot, another mob that was incited by Jewish religious leaders. Religion is no friend of Jesus. The crowd was screaming to Pilate to crucify him, crucify him. Again, anger and confusion. And yet Jesus, through the power of love, followed on that trek to the cross, being nailed, excruciating pain in and of itself. But then, Father, for three hours it was dark. It was as dark as could be. But when Jesus rose on that early Sunday morning, the light was renewed eternally, L-I-G-H-T. Father, protect us from Christian light, L-I-T-E. 
May, may truth expand and magnify and canvas the entire world. Help us, Father, to purify, to yield to the Spirit. Father, we need your help, obviously. It's in your strength, not in ours. And Father, if there's someone that hasn't trusted Christ as Savior, that today would be that day. The quietness of their heart to resign themselves, to repent of their sin and accept Christ by faith. He is my Savior. Thank you for the gift that you've given. Go with us. Magnify yourself just as you did in that day that we've studied today so many years ago. We trust you with the future. You are great. Jesus is Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.